Good evening and welcome to Mouthful Smart Talk about food, wine, and farming here on KRCB FM. It is Michelle Anna Jordan live in the studio. Hope you've had a good weekend. Beautiful weather, huh? And before I introduce our guests, I just have to get a shout out, a very appreciative shout out to Lori Duckworth, Oscar Duckworth, Snazzy Duckworth, um, Sonoma County Tourism, and Clark Wolf for a wonderful day on Thursday. Um, Clark Wolf, who sat in for me last week, thank you very much for that, Clark, um, took um, certified tourism ambassadors on a tour of, I think, four farms on Thursday. And they had lunch at Duckworth Farm. And Lori Duckworth, just I, I did the lunch and when I got there I thought that um, she was going to have some uh, cooked crawfish for me I had this very simple uh, chilled tomato soup can't really call it a gazpacho though I think I did but uh, it was just the essence of the tomatoes with a little avocado cream and I was going to put a crawfish on top of each one um, because she has local crawfish that get there through the two creeks that that run through the beautiful property that's on Canfield Road in uh, South Sebastopol. She, when she set out the traps, she got so many crawfish that she decided to do a low country boil um, in addition to the lunch that I had prepared. So I think um, I think the culinary uh, the tourism ambassadors had a real treat, and I certainly did, and I'm still eating some of the leftovers. So uh, Duckworth Family Farm it is such a local treasure. It's a true working farm. Um, they work all the time, and it is just absolutely gorgeous in a very um, unmanicured but well-tended and natural way, just a spectacular piece of property. It's, to me, what is really the essence of Sonoma County. Um, another aspect of the essence of Sonoma County is Pinot Noir. I think that um, this this area, especially the Russian River Valley and Green Valley, have made some of the most beautiful Pinot Noirs that I've ever tasted over the years. And there is... Um, a fete coming up, Adventure Pinot Noir. It's taking place at Virginia Dare Winery in Geyserville on September 28th. And we have Rick Toyota. Um, I'm going to let you tell me your exact title <laughs> so that I don't get it wrong. So um, I know that you're in charge of what's happening. So Yes, my uh, title is Vice President of Direct Consumer uh, for the okay. Family Coppola. So I actually oversee the three properties. Uh, the Virginia Dare property, the Francis Ford Coppola Winery, as well as our new winery up in Oregon, mm. Domaine de Broy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the name of the place in Oregon again? Domaine de Broy. D- Domaine de, Bo- de Bo- And it's up in um, 
say McMinnville area? It's very close to McMinnville uh-huh. and the town of Dayton, so it's up in the Dundee Hills area. In Dundee Hills, and that's all in the Willamette Valley. Yes. Okay, so tell us what's happening at the event. Well, this is a unique event for us because it's one of the first times that we've brought all of our brands from all three wineries together mm-hmm. under one event, uh, under the family Coppola umbrella, and we focus on Pinot Noir. We have such a great, diverse portfolio of Pinots coming from as far south as uh, as far as far uh, south as the Santa Barbara area. Mm-hmm. We get our Pinot Blancs for our Sophia sparkling wines from the Monterey area and some of our Pinot Noir. And uh, certainly here, Russian River Valley and other regions here in Sonoma County, which are outstanding Pinots. And now the addition of our uh, winery up in Oregon, which is well known for their Pinots. Mm-hmm. It, this seemed like a perfect time to do this event. Wonderful. And what time? Do, what what's the basics? What time does it start? What time does it end? Yes. So it is. Uh, the event is from one to four o'clock on September. Uh, 28th. That's a Saturday. That's a Saturday. Yes, we have tickets uh, sale on sale online at the Virginia Dare website. Uh, uh, that's virginiadarewinery.com. Uh, the tickets are $50 for the general public and $45 for club members of any of the three wineries. Mm-hmm. And about how many wines will people be taking? have the opportunity Mm -hmm. to taste do we know uh we have uh seven different labels represented with probably about a dozen or so wines but in addition to the wines we have uh food uh that is going to be presented and paired with these wines from our three restaurants so we have a representation from rustic francis favorites uh from our Wero restaurant over at Virginia Dare, and then our Cafe Zoetrope uh, oh. Bistro over in San Francisco. Oh, so they just, Cafe Zoetrope is celebrating a birthday this year, right? Are they celebrating like their 20th birthday? Yes, they've been. Uh, I, I don't recall the exact amount of years, uh, but they're located over in the Sentinel building uh, yes. there in uh, San Francisco. It's a great spot. Mm-hmm. I was just there the uh, beginning of June. Mm-hmm. Um, we had... Uh, Cocktails, went to Beach Blanket Babylon, and then we came back for dinner. Yeah, the the location is great, and it also is in the Sentinel building, which uh, Francis has uh, both his production company, Mm -hmm. uh, American uh, Zoetrope, uh, located at that place, the location as well. Mm-hmm. Have um, the various chefs involved let you know what the menu is going to be yet? Uh, we're still working out a few of the details, okay. uh, but uh, everything is geared to uh, pair with uh, Pinot. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And is it, um, how is it structured? Is it a walk around tasting, that sort of thing? Yes, we really wanted to create a festival like atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So it is set up with uh, uh, covered tents and uh, uh, an area that uh, guests could lounge and enjoy uh, uh, and take their time with the wine samples as well as the food samples. Uh, and we have representation from all the different properties and the different restaurants there. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a lot of fun. Any music? Uh, yes, we will have uh, some music there, uh, uh-huh. live music. I'm not quite sure what band we did end up uh, uh-huh. signing for that. Not Virginia Dare, I bet. No, no. <laughs> I should say Virginia Dare. I'm, I'm going to have you explain the historical story of who Virgi- Virginia Dare is and why she's now um, the name of a winery. But for some people in Sonoma County, especially those of us who used to spend a lot of time at the Old Vic, um, which closed and is now um, Russian River Brewing Company. Virginia Dare was a band, and if I have it correct, the woman, her first name is Mary, I forget her last name, she played 
the zither, I think, <laughs> and had this. It wasn't. It wasn't punk in the way most people think of punk, but it was that really spared down, alternative, edgy but beautiful music. And I know that they're still around. Um, I wanted to play from one of their um, albums tonight, um, "Baby Got Away," and. I think my dog took it. <laughs> um, it's missing. And it was on the bottom shelf where um, he had some fun while I was taking a nap. Anyway, go online. You can go to Virginia Dare SF. I think it's VirginiaDareSF.com and introduce yourself to that music. Um, and we'll play one song from them in just a little bit. But um, when the winery opened, it didn't have a name at first. Uh, no. Francis had the idea that he wanted to tell the legend story about Virginia Dare mm-hmm. over the course of a year with the release of four different wines. Uh, so it was labeled as the home of the White Doe, home of uh, uh, Mantio, home of uh, uh, the Lost Colony, and home of two arrowheads so we could tell the story of Virginia Dare, mm-hmm. or at least the legend part of Virginia Dare. Mm-hmm. And then we had a big announcement for the actual name of the Virginia Dare winery. I was there mm-hmm. when they did the uh, big unveiling of the name. Um, if Coppola has an event of any kind and they invite me, I go. <laughs> I've learned. If, if, if Francis Coppola is doing something, it is going to be fun and it is going to be interesting. And that's one of the things I really enjoy about, um, well, I've been to the three wineries in California and all the restaurants. I haven't been to Oregon, but I'm, that's on my to-do list. Yes, you'll have point. to let us know when you're heading up there. Yes, absolutely. Um, let's take a little musical break real quick. We're going to hear the one song I have found from Virginia Dare. We're going to come back and talk about the legend. <laughs> That was Virginia Dare. And now the question is, who actually was Virginia Dare? And why is there a winery named after her? Well, this is a bit of a challenge because there really are three fa- uh, stories about Virginia mm-hmm. Dare and the winery. We've got time. Okay. Uh, the, the fact is that Virginia Dare is considered the first child of European descent mm-hmm. born in the New World. Uh, she came, uh, her parents uh, came on a... Uh, settlement that was trying to establish a, a, a colony on Roanoke Island back in 1857. And she was born on the ship uh, just off the coast of the island. And uh, so she uh, disappeared with the rest of the colonists when uh, several years later, when the supply ships returned, there was no sign of the colony and we don't know whatever happened to so them. We've never, we've never found any artifacts, nothing. Well, we didn't know much what occurred with them uh, Talk about timing. When Francis announced the Virginia Dare winery opening that week, they did start to find some artifacts uh, downriver and in other locations. And when you go to Roanoke Island, and it is actually a, uh, a national historic site. Uh, and that's, is, that's Virginia, right? Uh, it's off the co- coast of North Carolina, okay. actually. But that whole region was known as Virginia back, okay. back then. And... Uh, uh, they do have ideas what may have happened because there's no sign of violence uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, to the colonists. They've never found uh, uh, skeletal remains of any uh, Europeans in that area. So they don't, and the um, the buildings itself were taken apart, not burnt or oh, destroyed. So they feel that somehow they moved somewhere into and were absorbed into the native population. Mm. Um, and so from that, a number of legends occurred. Whatever happened to this child, Virginia Dare? And one of the legends is that of the White Doe, that Virginia Dare grew up to be a beautiful young woman and caught the eye of a young brave as well as a young shaman. And uh she preferred the young brave, so the shaman, being rejected, set a curse upon her and turned her into a white doe that would forever roam uh, the island. And the young brave realized that the appearance of this mysterious white doe coincided with the disappearance of his beloved Virginia Dare. And so he went to another shaman to try to uh, find a cure for uh, this, to bring her back to Virginia Dare. And it he was given instructions to create an arrowhead from a mother of pearl, and if he shot Virginia Dare, the white doe, with the uh, special arrowhead, she would then return into the form of Virginia Dare. At the same time, another older brave who had heard of the white doe and wanted to hunt the white doe to bring up his status took a medal uh, that he received from the Europeans and carved it into an arrowhead and was hunting for the white doe uh, for his esteem. As stories usually happen, by coincidence, they both came upon the white doe uh, drinking from uh, a stream, shot their arrowheads. They both struck the white doe in the heart at the same time. And uh, the one arrowhead uh, brought her back to the form of Virginia Dare, and of course the other arrowhead killed Killed her. her. And where her blood spilled, uh, a great grapevine grew, which is actually... uh, the uh, mother vine, and mm-hmm. if you go to Roanoke Island, there is the 400-year-old vine uh, that is kind of the centerpiece of all this. It's considered mm-hmm. the oldest grapevine uh, that we still make fr- uh, wine from mm-hmm. uh, in, in the New World. And so that's where the legend of Virginia Dare comes mm-hmm. in. The name of the winery came about going way back to the 1800s and the uh, early uh, 19, uh, early 1900s when uh, the Garrett family actually started a winery. They purchased a property that had been in existence since 1836. They uh, had a bottle of wine that they named Virginia Dare. Uh, This was based in North Carolina after the first daughter in North Carolina. When Paul Garrett, the son, started his own winery in the early 1900s, he named his main brand Virginia Dare. And believe it or not, Virginia Dare was probably one of the most important American wine brands. It was one of the first national wine brands. There were advertisements in all the magazines, and uh, national magazines. There were radio ads that Francis remembers as a child. Right, yeah, that I found so interesting mm-hmm. that Francis remembers the jingles that were on the radio. Right, and even during Prohibition, they uh, knew how to do business because they uh, were able to take all the alcohol that they distilled from their wines and made non-alcoholic wines during Prohibition, which obviously was probably not as much fun, uh, but they created a food flavoring company and used them all oh. for uh, to make uh, extracts, which alcohol was allowed for. And oh, that carried them I through Prohibition. Know, I didn't know that part. That's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. And they were also unique because they had vineyards across the United States. They had a large vineyard site in Southern California around mm-hmm. the Rancho Cucamonga area, about 7,000 acres. They had property up in upstate New York and Virginia, 
North Carolina, Missouri. Uh, the winery itself was actually in Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, as time went on after Prohibition, uh, competition from other wine companies increased. So by 1961, the two main facilities in California and upstate New York closed and the, uh, the brand disappeared from mm-hmm. the marketplace. Uh, and uh, Francis just remembered when we had the opportunity to create a new brand when we in, uh, in 2013 when we purchased the old Geyser Peak property mm-hmm. in, in Geyserville. Uh, to establish a new wine brand, and he got the rights for the old Virginia Dare brand. And we've since recreated a lot of the artifacts from it, the wine bottles. Uh, we The label is very similar. Uh, but we um, are focusing on Pinot and Chardonnay, um, mostly mm-hmm. from the Russian River Valley with this particular brand. Mm-hmm. And that that bottle, the new re- newly released, right, the... the, the Yes. Vintage bottle, because I saw it at um, the recent Taste of Sonoma. Yes. It's really we, interesting. It's a nice shape. Yes, it's, it's, uh, it's a unique bottle because it has uh, the emblem of American Pioneer Wine Growers was the wine growing company for Virginia Dare, for mm-hmm. Garrett and Company. Uh, and um, uh, Francis is really into the details of the history and the story. So mm-hmm. he wanted to make sure that we honored that. Mm-hmm. And we actually had the gr- uh, granddaughter and the great-granddaughters uh, of Paul Garrett visit us. Oh. And they're even wine club members now. Oh, really? But oh, they were so I, excited to see the uh-huh. legacy carried on. Uh-huh. Was, have you ever been able to find the old radio jingles? Uh, we've, we've gotten copies. Uh, we have that in our archives, uh-huh. uh, along with a lot of bottles and, and labels from the original Virginia Dare. Mm-hmm. And that's how we modeled uh, some of the campaigns that we do for that brand now. Mm-hmm. The um, logo is a woman that looks like maybe the early 30s. with Her, her hair style looks like late 20s, early 30s. Is that created now or is that taken from uh the earlier that's taken from the earlier there's been uh, a slight change in the appearance of virginia dare Mm -hmm. uh going back to some of the labels i've seen in the 1930s and even some of the uh in the 1920s for some of the uh, extracts Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 say, uh, what sort of extracts were vanilla they? extract okay. uh, the, uh, you know, so the ones we know the flavoring extracts okay. yes uh, the Virginia Dare company still exists today it's a uh, it, we both shared this legacy because uh, that was sold off a long time ago from from the Garrett company and it's still considered one of the largest uh, food flavoring companies in the United States they sell commercially now so if soda pops ice cream fast food products packaged goods, they're selling a lot of the food flavoring. So they still exist. So they sell to the, the producers. Yes. Oh, so that we don't see them on the retail shelf. Right. Oh, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. And they didn't mind that someone else was going to use the name? Well, we share the legacy. Uh, they okay. are. Uh, they broke away from the Virginia Dare Winery, and that uh. continued on for many years until oh. about sixty one. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Oh. So we actually sh- uh, we were completely separate companies. We don't really have any connection. Well, we don't have any connection with one another, mm-hmm. but we share that legacy. Okay. Mm-hmm. God, that's fascinating. I you. I thought I knew so much about this, but <laughs> you've added a lot of details that I had somehow missed. <laughs> um, let's talk about a little bit about the launch. Um, I know that driving by 
um, there would be a picture of a white donut. It would say the white donut, if I remember correctly. There was an asterisk, and it said something like, look it up. Uh, yes. Uh this was part of the uh, campaign. Francis loves is a storyteller. I mm-hmm. mean, Absolutely. this is the the core of who Francis is, and uh, so he wanted to tell this story. He wanted people to have an understanding of what this was about before the brand ever came out, mm-hmm. and so it was the home of the white doe, and the little asterisk, "Look it up," mm-hmm. was to research it, to mm-hmm. asking the public to find out a little bit more. And pique the curiosity. Uh, did was there much public response? Was there much interaction with the public uh, initially? And did that build? Yes, uh, it, it was a little confusing at first because every three months the sign would change mm-hmm. to the next wine and said "Home of Two Arrowheads" or "Home of Mantio." And uh, but people that were visiting us started to catch on. We have a lot of followers from the Francis Ford Coppola Winery that. Uh, know how Francis is. Mm-hmm. They they have been club members of ours. They follow us for a long time. And so they were on this journey with uh, mm-hmm. with everybody else uh, when we were launching Virginia Dare. Mm-hmm. I'm one of them. <laughs> I looked it up immediately and I found I, I found the Virginia Dare mm-hmm. legend right away. And it probably caught my eye because I knew the band. Mm-hmm. And so that was just already familiar to me. So it was very, in- I loved watching it all unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, you released, you released the four wines. And if I remember correctly, one was a Viognier blend, wasn't it? Was that the first <coughs> one? Uh, yes. Actually, the first one, the white dough, was a Chenin Blanc Viognier That's blend. right. That's right. I, now I remember. Mm. That was a nice wine. Yeah, it was a really nice, wonderful summer wine. Uh, we have not produced it since then because mm. that was really something that was uh, an opportunity uh, mm-hmm. with that fruit uh, being mm-hmm. available to do uh, for that vintage. And uh, we haven't uh, gone back to uh, produce another version of it. Mm-hmm. But the other labels have also since evolved. Our... Two Arrowheads, which was a Roussan Viognier blend, Mm -hmm. is now a mostly Viognier and labeled as Viognier. Mm -hmm. Uh, Our Mantio, which was really a red blend, Mm -hmm. uh, had a lot of Syrah, Cabernet, um, a number of other red varietals in it, now has become a Syrah Mm -hmm. with a lot of fruit coming from our own vineyard site right behind the winery. Mm -hmm. And then our two Lost Colonies, our Lost Colony White and our Lost Colony Red, we really f- wanted to make sure it was focused on Alexander Valley fruit. That's where the winery is located. So that has now evolved into a Sauvignon Blanc for the white. And uh, we have a Petit Verdot heavy, uh, uh, heavy weighted blend right now from Alexander Valley. But the next vintage will be much more uh, Cabernet based and be labeled as a Cabernet. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, and you might have said this and I missed it, um, the Mantio. What is the Mantio part of this? Mantio is a is a unique figure in both from a historical standpoint. He was a Native American that was first encountered. There were three, there were three visits by the Europeans to Roanoke Island. Uh, the first was uh, an expedition, and him and another Native American um, went back to England uh, with them. And during the journey, he was very interested in teaching the Algonquin language to the British, and to the English, and also himself learning English. He returned with the second expedition, 
and uh, help to uh, translate uh, that expedition with the other native tribes, went back to England and returned with the uh, colonists that were going to settle Roanoke Island. So his fate Mm -hmm. is lost in history with the lost colony as well. Uh, but he was a real person. Yeah, he was. Uh, there's a famous painting uh, of him in the Anglican Church in England, and uh, they have a history with his visit to uh, Great Britain and meeting Queen Victoria uh, during the, uh, from a historical standpoint. So it's very uh, history based. Very, with very rich in history. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I love about what Francis Coppola does. There's so much depth to the story. There's so much reasoning that goes into whatever y'all produce. Mm-hmm. I just love that. I think we should take another musical break, and then I think it's time to do a little tasting. Carrie Takanawa, what a voice that was, of course. Oh mio bambino caro. Not bambino. She's not saying, oh baby. What she's saying is she's, she's pleading with her father. It's like, daddy, I love him so much. I want him. You have to let me have him. You gotta love that part of opera. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of loving it so much, I think we have some Pinot Noir to taste. Uh, yes, I actually brought two of our Pinot Noirs from the Francis Ford Coppola Winery, as well as our new winery, Domaine de Broy. And uh, this is uh, two of the samples that we're going to be having at the uh, uh, Adventure Pinot. The first one is going to be uh, the Francis Ford Coppola or the Francis Coppola Reserve Pinot Noir. It's a 2017, and this wine is uh, from the Dutton Ranch uh, over mm-hmm. in Russian River Valley. Uh, Dutton Ranch has such a great history. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. There we go. And um, we love that sound here on Mouthful. The uh, Dutton Ranch uh, is a legacy vineyard site for Pinot Noir and Chardonnay in the Russian River Valley. The Duttons uh, have been growing, uh, have been an agricultural family for multiple generations, and really this last generation has really gained a reputation for for some of the best fruit in the Russian River Valley. Absolutely. The other thing that for Virginia Dare that we do is we also get uh, Gravestine apples from them. Mm-hmm. They're one of the few places that still have the heirloom Gravestine growing, and we use that to make our uh, hard cider. There. I tried your hard cider for the first time at Taste of Sonoma. It is outstanding. It's a beautiful, dry cider with really pretty nuances of flavor. It, it's a very refreshing, uh, the Gravestines are, are incredible, uh, an incredible varietal work with for, for ciders because they really retain a nice acidity and that nice uh, crispness that you associate with uh, uh, fresh apples. 
So, mm-hmm. and that cider, where is that available? Uh, that is available directly at the uh, Virginia Dare Winery. We also have it available at the bar at uh, Rustic as well, mm-hmm. over at Transfer Copeland Winery. Is it distributed at all? No, no, it's a, a winery only. Product. Winery only, yes. and is it? Um, but you can buy it to take home. Yes, you don't just drink yes. it there. And excuse me, one minute. <laughs> Oh, allergies. <laughs> you got to love an agricultural area. They give you allergies all year long. Um, I want to see the label. Of, I just want you to turn the label towards me because this, um, this, um, I don't know what you got. This line of wines have these beautiful labels. Yes. Uh, Dean Tavaleras uh, is an artist that Francis has worked with. In fact, more, he's more than an artist. He was Francis's set designer. In mm. fact, he did the design of all the interiors of the Francis Ford Coppola Winery when we did the renovations there. Mm-hmm. And uh, f- the, as the story goes, Francis was visiting him one day, and he had all these beautiful uh, painted portraits, these very unique, uh, colorful uh, uh interpretation portraits mm-hmm. uh, hanging above his fireplace and Francis fell in love with them and asked if he could use them for our reserve label mm-hmm. and that's where all of these labels come from. They're gorgeous and if I remember correctly you sell them as posters yes, and also as silk scarves. Yes uh, they we do have the, the large lithographs uh, mm-hmm. of them uh, available at the winery and uh, Eleanor uh, Coppola really thought they were beautiful and the colors and everything were perfect for scarves. I, I got one of the scarves and I forget, was it for the Cabernet? It's the, it's the black the, woman uh, the, that the, is... Yes, that one is actually for the Syrah. Syrah. I almost said Syrah yeah. and then I thought I was wrong. The blue the blue face blue. Uh, gentleman is for the, uh, the Cabernet. Cabernet. Mm. They're really, really gorgeous and sometimes I have that scarf hanging on the wall of my office uh, so I can look at it as I work and then sometimes I put it away because I don't want it to get mm. pick up too much stuff. But it's... Um, they're really gorgeous labels. You should, of course, never buy a wine by its label. <laughs> um, amateurs do that. But looking at the labels, uh, just like looking at anything else that Coppola does, it's really interesting. There's a lot of depth. Um, I also really like the Votre Sante, which is yes. sort of the, that's the m- least expensive, very accessible. Um, and it has that die cut... I guess you'd call it the die-cut label that twists around the bottle. That was the original branding for Voltresante. It since have got, has gone to a more traditional Burgundian label. Mm-hmm. But that particular one you're talking about mm-hmm. was, uh, we never throw anything away. So we re- I uh, I revived this yeah. for, uh, for a, a Cerno and Roxanne bottling that we're doing. Okay. Uh, of a Grenache and mm-hmm. of... Uh, uh, and I, the white varietal slips in my mind right now. Verentino. Oh, oh uh, yes. Vermentino. Vermentino. I've had that wine. I love that wine. Yes. Uh, and I saved, um, I've saved a couple bottles mm-hmm. with the wraparound uh, die cut. It looks like lace wrapped around the bottle. One of the slowest bottling lines you will ever see. I've heard because that. Because <laughs> it, it has to run so slow to make sure that that rotation yeah. occurs just right for that label. It's so delicate. Yeah, I talked to some people who worked on that line, and they just said, yeah. We love it, too. <laughs> um, so tell me about this. Uh, so these are, Dut- it's 100% Dutton. Uh, this, this first wine is 100% this Dutton Ranch uh, for the reserve. And uh, 
It's a great example of Russian River Valley fruit. I think Russian River Valley being probably one of, of three or four uh, world-renowned Pinot-growing regions in mm-hmm. California uh, really is a benchmark. Uh, so many f- other brands have made their mark here in Russian River Valley. Uh, because of the Pinot Noir. We have an ideal growing uh, conditions here. The hillsides are just high enough to allow uh, uh, proper sun exposure. You keep the, uh, it's close enough to the coast that the coastal influence remains longer during the course of the day mm-hmm. and, would, uh, and comes back uh, uh, sooner in the uh, late afternoon. Pinawa really does like the heat during the day, but wants to cool down and recuperate mm-hmm. overnight. You don't want it to be too hot or it will really shrivel. It, the, it's mm-hmm. a very thin-skinned grape. That's why it's so hard to extract a color uh, for the winemaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, California Pinots and Russian River Valley being a great location has wonderful fruit. California is always going to be a place where the fruit ripens enough that you really get these wonderful Bing cherry and... Um, uh, raspberry and and a little bit of cranberry qualities to to the wines, along with uh, just enough French oak to give it those wonderful uh, light spices and mm-hmm. vanilla characteristics uh, to it. Not to overpower it because you really don't want too much wood with a Pinot. No, you uh, don't want to. You don't want to eclipse its delicacy. No, it, and. One of the reasons why Pinot is uh, so much more expensive is th- we are using a lot more French oak in the making of Pinot because of that delicacy of the wood programs. The clusters are so much more smaller and tighter. Mm-hmm. It's a finicky grape. You, the, the, the farmer has to really be on top of everything going on in the vineyard because something could go wrong much easier than it can with other grape varietals. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it's a wonderful varietal. If Cabernet is all about the boldness and the intensity, Pinot is all about subtlety. Mm-hmm. And, and and the nuances. And to my palate, and I'm certainly not the first one to say this, there's something very sexy about Pinot Noir. If you had to name a wine that was sexy, you would, you would I think, pick Pinot Noir. And don't like to promote myself that much, but I can't resist telling you, if you go to my website, michellenajordan.com, and go to narratives, I think it is narrative, um, you'll read a story I wrote called Sex and the Single Grape, back in, I think, 1993 or 94, before Pinot had cut become a thing here, and I had a great time reading everything I could find about it, and at the time I had an editor who gave me a lot more space than anyone gives you now, it's about 2,000 words, had so much fun uh, writing it that um, and it's I've had fun being able to revive it through my website <coughs> this is very nice it's got that satin on taffeta texture which is part of the appeal of Pinot mm. Noir that just really silken element that's on, on the palette and Pinot is uh, my favorite uh, red varietal and it really is because of the those subtleties and it actually lingers for a long time and it's not a really intense lingering it's just a nice mm-hmm. soft lingering with you about a minute or so after you to drink the wine francis fell in love with pinot Noir early on mm-hmm. he uh tells a story that when he was a young screenwriter just really starting starting out he uh, uh, was introduced uh, by one of his clients to roman conti uh the mm-hmm. great uh pinot uh, of burgundy and uh, when he got his first paycheck for about $50,000, he said, 
uh, you could buy a case of Romo Conti for about 25000 but it, this was in a group because you couldn't just buy a case of Romo Conti. You had to buy the Latash, you had the, the Reichborg, every, you had to buy all of them, and it was about $25,000. So he bought two cases. Oh, my gosh. And, and that's where his first paycheck went. <laughs> wow. But that's where his love for Pinot really started was this introduction. And what an introduction. I wish someone had introduced me to uh, uh, Roman Conte as my first introduction to Pinot Noir, but some people are a little bit more blessed than, in, you know, that, that's, than others. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I, my, I don't think I remember my first Pinot Noir. I remember really liking Beaujolais when I was in France mm-hmm. in 1990, and that was because it was inexpensive, but it was light enough and I didn't get a hangover from it so I could you know I didn't want to waste an expensive wine on um, my first night in France because I had such um, jet lag and I was like oh there's an I'll get a Beaujolais and just we drank it most of the time and I came back and it was very hard to get Beaujolais here and somebody said oh have a Pinot and it might have been Sainsbury Mm. and Sainsbury of course was one of the early uh, pioneers of the current day Pinot Noir, and then soon thereafter, um, I discovered the miraculous wines that Gary Farrell, uh, Gary Farrell himself, the person, Mm -hmm. was making, and he just did something beautiful with that grape. Well, that's what's extraordinary about this region uh, of California for Pinot Noir. There have been so many great producers Mm -hmm. uh, that have really established this region for its Pinot Noir internationally. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, The ones you named, and many, many more. Many others. Uh, you have another one. This is the Oregon one. Oh, and you already poured it. Look at that. Yes. So Domaine de Broy, once again, is another story. Uh, it's named after a famous French physicist, uh, Louis de Broy. Louis de Broy won the Nobel Prize in 1929 for his theory on uh, quantum physics. Oh, I love that. And Francis is a science and technology uh someone that's very fond of science and technology. In fact, as a child, he wanted to be a physicist, and I believe it was his father that reminded him he had to do a lot better in math <laughs> if he ever wanted to go in that, that realm. Uh, but he really has an admiration. It goes through his family. Uh, uh, his uncle was named Archimedes, and we honor mm-hmm. that at the, at the Francis Ford Coppola Winery with our flagship uh, Cabernet. Uh, our great women's spirits. We honor women of technology and, and science as well. And I should say, we're, we're featuring great women's spirits here on Mouthful on September 29th. Okay, great. And, and, and you'll hear all of those stories, but a lot of the stories are science and technology based as well. Mm-hmm. So this was an opportunity for someone else that Francis really admired to name the winery after him, and that's kind of reflective in the quantum wave that you see on the uh, label yeah, here. Looking at the label, I thought, okay, that's really interesting. But Oregon, another incredible Pinot growing region. I had the opportunity to work in Oregon about a dozen years ago uh, at a winery up there. And I was drawn there uh, with the first tasting of Oregon Pinots I ever had back in uh, uh, the late 1990s, early 2000s. And since then, the industry has only solidified and uh, it's a place to be if you're a a Pinot Noir admirer because they do absolutely wonderful and very different pinots in california very different the first time i had one was um i was on a book tour it was the middle of winter i was at the heathman hotel and bram stoker's dracula had just come out and i'd seen the movie 
but I had seen it in the front row of the <laughs> theater in Petaluma, and that meant the movie was sort of coming out over me, and I was, you know, had my head tilted back. And you don't really see it that well in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't have anything to do, and I walked across the street to the theater and watched the movie, cried during the... I love that movie. I just love mm-hmm. that movie. And came back to an absolutely delicious meal at the Heathman Hotel restaurant and had a half bottle of a Pinot Noir from there and absolutely fell in love. And I'll think in a minute, I probably think of the name Mm -hmm. of the winery. I can see the label. Um, And and eventually went back and went, drove down to McMinnville and went to the Pinot Noir festival they had for a while. Um, And then they seemed, it seemed like um, Oregon Pinot's sort of took a dive for a time. They well, sort of almost, they weren't getting good reviews, and it seemed like they just fell off the radar and then came back. Well, a lot of, with Oregon, it is uh, vintage-related because the weather is so different up there, and they're so susceptible to the weather. I think they're in a pattern now similar to California. I don't think we've had a bad vintage in about 20 25 mm-hmm. years in California. You've had outstanding vintages and good vintages, but right. not really a bad vintage. No. Probably within the last eight years to a decade, that's really been the case in Oregon as well. Mm. And, uh, and, and with this wine, this comes from the Dundee Hills, which is a unique growing area uh, as well with a completely different dynamic. You really have this altitude of about 800 to 1,200 feet above the valley. It's all this jewelry soil, which is ancient volcanic soil that has turned red from the high iron content. Uh, the season is, is long, but a very short r- ripening period. So uh, they're not in harvest yet. They won't be in harvest till probably the end of this month uh, going into October. And then it's all at one time. And uh, because of that, and because of the latitude that they're at, where this, there's a lot more hours of sun, but a shorter ripening season Mm -hmm. uh the grapes develop differently and this is from a clone 117 it's a dijon clone that was brought in to oregon in the 1970s really when they uh, were trying to identify the right clonal variants that would do really well in their specific climate and this one when you taste it the flavors are much softer and a little leaner a little bit more acidic and there's the bit more earthiness so there's a tendency to lean more they're kind of in between a true burgundian style and the california style they're somewhere in between there definitely more acidic um and it's got it's got some high notes Mm -hmm. as well as that there is that earthy quality but it's got some little sparks of high notes that um, yeah. you, I don't think you usually see in a Russian River Valley Pinot. A lot more cranberry, where you get in the Russian River, pomegran- maybe and pome- a little bit pomegranate. Of pomegranate. Yes, yes, it's it there. It's those fruits that naturally have certain acidity to them, a bright mm-hmm. red fruit. Mm-hmm. Whereas you're going to get a little bit more of the Bing cherry and mm-hmm. some of those characters in the Russian River mm-hmm. fruit. But that's the beauty of Pinot Noir. Uh, oh, it's, it's so susceptible to the growing region that you c- could have these nuances and with the event we're doing we're hoping to show that because we have uh, examples growing from multiple area growing areas mm-hmm. throughout california and now oregon that will make them all very different mm-hmm. um i've always said since i fell in love with pinot noir that a great pinot noir is like a beautiful puccini aria
that's what a great Pinot Noir sounds like. Absolutely. It is absolutely beautiful. And that was Signor Di Doretto, uh, Thierry Takanawa singing from La Rondine. And I think that is my all-time favorite opera aria. It just oh, gives me... Isn't it beautiful? It's absolutely beautiful. And it's nice to be sipping on the... The Pinots as we're listening to it. Absolutely. I did. A, I made a mixtape, a Pinot Noir mixtape years ago, and the, both of the operas we've played tonight were on it along with another. I like doing themed set, um, mixtapes, um, around, especially around, around wines that I love. Um, Want to talk for a minute? We're, we don't have a whole lot of time left, but let's talk about the restaurant, Where All? Uh, and the winery itself, because there's some unique. There's a unique focus from the um, the map of Na- of um, First Nations. I love that map when you first walk in, and you know if one has been forgotten, there are little pins and pieces of paper where you can add them. Uh, that's in the winery part, and then there's um, the restaurant Wero, which has a Native American or First Nation menu. Yes. Uh- Wero, which is short for Wero Comico, uh, is named after uh, a location in Virginia that predates Virginia there by almost 100, 150 years. It was the uh, center of the Algonquin uh, nations, one of the largest uh, uh, confederacies of uh, Algonquin uh, tribes in that location. And it was kind of the center of their uh, leadership. They also held all of the communal food stores there, and that's where the idea for naming uh, the restaurant after Werewolcomico came about by Francis. Uh, we are inspired by Native American cuisine there, so we had worked with a number of Native American chefs, uh, uh, one in particular, Loretta Oden, who is both a Native American food historian and chef, consulted with us on uh, a number of the the food items, uh, the the flatbread, for lack of a more conventional term, tacos, which mm-hmm. they really aren't tacos. They're the traditional fry breads with uh, bison or chicken uh, 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 on there, along with the uh, salsas made from vegetables, root vegetables, and other uh, uh, fruits and vegetables. Uh, create these wonderful flavors that are both familiar because they're contemporary, but mm-hmm. they're based on Native American cuisine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, Many of the salsas that we produce are produced fresh uh, there, and they are really based on some of these recipes that Loretta was able to bring to our attention. And, uh, and so that's the inspiration. It's meant to be familiar, uh, but it also has a that unique twist mm-hmm. in in, in respe- and respectful twist to uh, Native American uh, recipes and cuisine. The black, I think it's blackberry lemonade, is yes. phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And planked salmon is the best planked salmon I've ever had in a restaurant. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the restaurant is open Friday, Saturday, and Sunday now. Uh, yes, Friday and Saturday, Sunday, mostly for lunch or early dinner. We're okay. open from eleven to five o'clock. Okay, it's really worth a trip if you haven't been there. It's in Geyserville, ten minutes, eight minutes actually, uh, north of Hillsburg. It's really worth worth a trip. We're actually open also every Friday till seven. We do. Uh, we have a special happy hour. Uh, menu that we've put together and uh, some specials for food and wine. Excellent. That's good to know. I will be up on a Friday night. Um, okay, we're just about out of time. So let's um, 
wrap things up with details. To get tickets, they're $50 if you're not a member of a wine club, $45 if you are, correct? Yes. And you can find them at uh, virginiadarewinery.com? virginiadarewinery.com, yes. Okay. Um, can you buy them anywhere else? Uh, you could also get them directly at the uh, tasting room itself. Okay. And what about the tasting room at Coppola Winery? Uh, no. No. Uh, so you have to go to Virginia Dare. Yes. And it, when is the tasting room open? A uh, tasting room is open uh, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays from 11 to 5 as well. Oh, okay. Oh, so it's not... Okay. Gotcha. Both places. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Um, and again, it is 1 to 4 o'clock. Yes. 1 to 4 o'clock. Saturday, September 28th. Yes. And I'm going to just divert really quickly. The pool is still open at uh, Coppola Winery. Yes, the pool is still open. Uh, it's open every day through the end of September, mm-hmm. and then it'll be Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays on uh, through the end of October. Okay, and then it reopens again in April. April of next, uh, April. 2020. Okay, well, Rick Toyota, tell me your title again. Vice President of, of Direct-to-Consumer. Direct-to-Consumer, that was the part I couldn't remember. <laughs> Thank you so much for taking time out on a Sunday to... Um, Michelle, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much well, for having it me here. fascinating as anything with Coppola always is. Um, next Sunday, it is probably going to be the Michelle and Anthony show. I'm gonna, I want to talk to you about some of my favorite um, late summer, because summer isn't over, regardless of what everyone says. Summer is not over, and they're special ways to cook at this time of year, and I'm going to be focusing on that with some really really delicious recipe so we'll be doing that next sunday and then the following sunday the 29th we it will be another hour of coppola this time it will be great women's spirits we'll be tasting spirits and talking about all the ones that are released and what uh, further ones will be in the pipeline at least what they'll tell us so be sure to tune in sunday evening at six for a yummy episode of mouthful smart talk about food wine and farming here on krcb fm Have a great week.